The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. It feels like the volume's just a tiny bit low. Can we make it just a little bit louder so I don't have to project my voice? And I have to keep on talking, maybe just a tiny bit louder. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. No, just a little bit less. No, it feels funny for me to be saying, no, higher, <laughs> lower, higher. Get just right. Okay. So welcome, welcome. Nice to see you all. So there's different ways in which the Buddha's teachings are conveyed or, you know, kind of like described of the ways that they've been preserved. And sometimes they describe a path of practice and it can seem like um, it's pretty straightforward. Just do one, two, three, four, and then bang, you're awakened. But, you know, I don't think that's anybody's practice unfolds that way in this particular sequence and in a way that's like so clear. Or maybe there's a way in which uh, the practice is described as a, the goal of practice, that is, nibbana. You know what, Jim, before you leave, can we make it just a little bit louder? Because I waited, I'm sorry, wait till you leave, but I've noticed that my voice will probably go out by the end. Maybe there's just, can be a tiny bit louder, just so that I don't have to, there we go, thank you. So it can be describing the path of practice, describing the goal of practice, or maybe they describe what is an ideal awakened person. Like what do they look like with somebody who is uh, awakened. So these are these three different ways in which uh, the teachings are conveyed. And when there's these qualities or characteristics of an awakened person, there's this way we can feel like, wow, I'm not like that. I, I don't think that I will ever be like that. I'd like just there's this. Uh, sometimes the Buddha is described with lots of colorful languages, or the arhats, you know, kind of talking about purity and perfection. And I feel like it's there's a way in which it's easy to be dismissive. Like, okay, well, that was thousands of years ago, and I can't even relate to what they're talking about. Not only that, there's this way which they describe the Buddha as the, sometimes they call him the seer or the sage or the kinsman of the sun or destroyer of the dart of craving. This can just feel conceptual and not really helpful at all that we can't quite relate to it. And instead it might just be feeding our inner critic. Like, oh, that's how they are, but I'm not like that. For all these reasons, it can be really helpful to, at least for me, to look at some of these characters that are showing up in the suttas as having a hard time, not following this perfect path, and they still become awakened. So I'd like to start with a, this a poem by Uttama. This was a woman who was having a hard time and here's some teachings, practices, and then becomes awakened. So what are the teachings that she heard? Like what helped turn it around? I think this can be useful and helpful to look at 
you know, it seems like maybe a little bit more of a real life uh, example, something that's maybe a little bit more relatable, less just this conceptual and something that's maybe inspiring and supportive. So in my mind, um, Uttama is living in a kuti. These are like small, just really simple dwellings. I know they have them now in Thailand, that uh, meditators, monastics, they live in these very simple huts, maybe. And that's where they would meditate or maybe even live. And then like the meditation hall or the regular monastery or the dining hall and all that kind of stuff would be in another place. So in my mind, she's living in one of these little huts and trying to meditate. And this is her awakening poem. So she becomes awakened. And um, it was the tradition for some of these poems to be preserved. And this is what, uh, how she describes her own process. So it goes like this. You know what, before... No, also I could say this afterwards. So here's Uttama's poem. Four times, five times... I left my dwelling. I had failed to find peace of mind or any control over my heart. I approached a nun in whom I had faith. She taught me the dharma, the aggregates, the sense fields, and the elements. When I had heard her teachings in accordance with her instructions, I sat cross-legged for seven days given over to joy and happiness. On the eighth day, I stretched out my legs, having shattered the mass of darkness. So she received these teachings that enabled her to shatter the mass of darkness. The mass of darkness sometimes stands for ignorance, but maybe it also even sounds, can be like the darkness, this feeling of hopelessness, like I can't do this, everybody else can do it, but I can't. You know, she leaves this, her dwelling, like she keeps on leaving, and then she finally just goes and asks for help. So what were these teachings that uh, she received? This poem says, the nun taught me the dharma, the aggregates, the sense fields, and the elements. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about these. So these are three different ways in which we might consider the human experience. In the same way that today we could have said the the weather was warm, or we could have said 78 degrees Fahrenheit, or 26 degrees Celsius. These are all pointing to the same thing, but they're using different scales, different vocabulary, but they're pointing to the same thing, so not something completely separate. Or maybe in the same way that there's these different perspectives of modern psychology. You know, maybe there's the psychodynamic perspective, or there's this behavioral perspective, or the cognitive perspective or the biological perspective, right? There's all these different ways in which we think of modern psychology and they're taking kind of like the experience of a human and emphasizing different aspects or looking at him through different lenses. They're all kind of looking at the human psychology. So in the same way, 
five aggregates, six sense bases, four elements, are three different ways in which we might look at the human experience. So just briefly I'll say the five aggregates. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but the first one is rupa, which refers to form, which can be pointing to like the body, like the physical body. And the other form, other four are different aspects of the mental experience. The five aggregates has some about the body, some about the mind. The six sense bases, there's the these are what are the senses? We have four of them, are they often ones that we think about seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling. One of them is the body, kind of like the tactile experience. And the sixth one is the mind. So again, another way in which to look at the human experience, the mind and the body. And then the fourth one are the four elements. And then we'll talk a little bit more about this one. But I'm going to introduce them as elemental qualities, which might be like a better translation or a better way to understand it. So these different ways in which the experience of the body, so we might say, look at the solidity, the feeling, the experience of solidity. We could say that's the earth element. We might look at the feeling or the experience of fluidity. We might say that's the water element. We might look at the experience of temperature, hot or cold. It's the fire element. We might look at the experience of motion or movement as the air element. And so these four elements, solidity, fluidity, temperature, motion, or we might say earth, water, fire, air, they are all independent on each other. They are like adjectives. They're like describing their perspective in which to look at the human experience. So in that way that they are all interdependent, they don't stand alone. There isn't like solidity, just we don't have solidity, right? It's the solidity of something. In the same way that we have fluidity, it's the fluidity of something. But in the body, there's, of course, all of these, and we can look at it with these different emphases, emphasizing the motion or the solidity or the movement or something like this. And so there's a way, even when we hear this word for elements, this might think this is like, too simplistic, anachronistic, and like, oh, isn't that cute? Back in ancient India, they had four elements. I think we have like 118 in the modern periodic table. I think I have that right. And if we're going to think about the body, we might, you know, for me, trained as a biochemist, I'm like, well, I know there's four more, more than four <laughs> in the body. So there's might be a way in which we kind of like want to be dismissive and think, okay, that's odd. I don't want to practice with it. It turns out working with these is really powerful. And I like to kind of like explore and talk about these a little bit today. So some of you may know the Satipatthana Sutta that 
It's kind of like maybe the primary sutta, which points to mindfulness. And it has mindfulness of the body as the first foundation, as the first uh, support for mindfulness. And within mindfulness of the body, we find mindfulness of breathing, which we often talk about and often is like the first instructions that we would give a meditator is mindfulness of breathing. But under that same heading of mindfulness of the body is also mindfulness of the elements. And it uh, and the Satipatthana Sutta goes like this. So one reviews this body, however it is placed, however it is disposed, so in whatever posture it's in or whatever is happening with the body. One reviews this body, however it is placed, however disposed by way of the elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Okay, pretty straightforward. Just look at these four different elements. But somehow, I'll just speak for myself, I just couldn't relate to this. I thought this just sounds odd. But there's a way in which it can be really powerful and helpful. And one way is because if we look at these ideas of the solidity, fluidity, temperature, and motion, then this points to shifting our ideas about the body to the experience of the body. And so often the ideas we have about bodies in general or our own body, or other people's bodies, whatever it might be. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering associated with the ideas that we have. Some of the obvious ones, some of the ideas are that, well, the body should have a certain appearance. They should look a certain way. And we have this entire advertising agency or phenomenon in the modern world, right? Billions of dollars being sent to make sure that we all agree on how bodies uh, should appear. It's so much suffering, right? So much suffering associated with this. But there's also this way that um, we might also think that our idea about the body is it's somehow like stable or constant. It's always with us, whatever we're doing. So there's this way we can think, like, yeah, this is my body, and it's like this. I have that this thing in my knee because of that accident that happens when I sit a particular way. It hurts. It's painful. This is you know my body. Or we might think like, okay, this is mine, and it's separate from everything else. So there's a way in which we might there's a kind of subtle but uh, it can have an impact, this idea of being really isolated and distinct and separate, like, nope, there's this that's here, and then there's everything else. And this body's trying to manipulate and control things out there, and things out there are having impacts on this body, and there can be some tension with that, there can even be some suffering with that, some dukkha with that. 
Or there might be this idea that, okay, because this is my body, I should be able to control it. I can choose to move my arm. But it turns out, right, we don't get to control it. But there's so, right, this is a whole other industry <laughs> out there. Like this health industry, eat this, don't eat that, exercise this way, don't exercise that way. Do this first thing in the morning, Do sleep this way, right? Wow, there's a lot. Thinking that we can control it. And in some ways, you know, there are some things we can control, but really our body is not controllable. It gets sick. It hurts. It ages. We can't control this. And so the ways that we can control other aspects, we think that, you know, maybe we can, we should naturally be able to control these other aspects, but... Yeah, so much dukkha associated with our ideas about the body. And so, this when we start looking at the solidity, fluidity, temperature, or motion, we can move toward the actual phenomenological experience. What does it feel like to be having this bodily experience? as opposed to what are our ideas about it. So for example, instead of thinking the abdomen is rising and falling with the breath, or my knees hurt, or my bladder is full, instead we could say things like expansion and contraction, like feeling the expansion and the contraction the stretching and the release of the stretch. Or say things like tingling or pressure. These types of words, throbbing, really different feeling, right? Feeling, but it's a different uh, emphasis to talk about these as maybe they're more like adjectives or expressions of what's happening in the bodily experience. And when something important really happens when we start to use these types of words, expansion, contraction, throbbing, tingling, stabbing, warm, cold, we notice it's changing. The body is changing. Intellectually, we all understand this. We know there's aging. We know that we're not the same that we were a decade ago. But when we start to see it, like just with the everyday, the, just the most mundane life experiences, anytime we tune in to these different aspects, we start to see, oh yeah, yeah, there was some tingling there before. It's not really tingling. Now it's a little bit more stabbing. Or maybe the area where it was tingling is now shifting around. And then so this impermanent, inconstant nature of the body starts to become more and more apparent. Then we start to notice, oh yeah, I can't control this as much as I thought I could. And when the changing nature starts to become more apparent, we start realizing, yeah, I can't hold on to my the sense of how my body is just doesn't really make sense. It's always changing. 
And in this way, there's a certain amount of letting go. There's a certain certain amount of no longer grasping or clinging or demanding that the body be a particular way. So our relationship to our body shifts. Maybe we've been disappointed and angry or something, but now it can shift when we start to pay attention more to this, the sensations. And of course, many of you know that impermanence is one of the three characteristics, one of the qualities of everything essentially. And the real deep understanding of this can lead to a really deep letting go that leads to greater and greater freedom, peacefulness and ease. But not only does uh, paying attention to the elements in this way, solidity, fluidity, temperature, emotion, but it also emphasizes that we are not our bodies. And you might say, well, of course I know I'm not my body. But there's a way, well, maybe I'll say first this simile that the Buddha offered. It's kind of a gruesome simile. It is often a little bit surprising to find this uh, in the suttas. But it's, uh, this was you know, how life was in ancient India. So the simile is of to imagine that there is a butcher who slaughters a cow and then cuts up the cow into the different pieces of meat and you know maybe there's bones and meat and liver and whatever else they would sell and um, take them to the market and sell them. So they're saying, well, before the slaughtering, the butcher considered this a cow. They took care of the cow, they fed the cow, they gave cow the water, they took care of it. And then as soon as you look at it in terms of its parts, its meat or bones or liver, it's like really different. They no longer think of it as a cow. So there's this way, and when we kind of are like teasing apart the different elements, the different aspects, there's a way it just kind of like shifts our relationship to it. It's no no longer a body, but it's solidity. And one way that we might think about this also in modern times is like to imagine like whose body would you like to have? You can imagine anybody's, like anybody's body, alive or dead. Like who's if you could, you know, have somebody's body, whose would you have? I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. So it turns out this is a trick question because (laughs) even the whole idea that you could be in a different body suggests that you kind of think that you are, you know, independent or some, like, like you could exist independent of your body. You know, that it's, that there, you could, you could still be who you are, but in a different body. So there is a way in which we often are identified with our body, or we think that somehow we're separate and unique, and just, but that somehow 
the body is different. I don't know. It's just we're not seeing the like the interconnectedness of it all. So there's these many subtle ways which we identify with the body. And there's so there's another advantage of looking at the practice of looking at the elements is that the when we look at the self in terms of the elements, it helps um, maybe break down this idea that we are separate and distinct. Because of course, not only do human bodies have solidity or motion, but you know, so does everything else in some regard. And we could even say, if we, if we instead of using solidity and fluidity, if we change the words, and say, earth element. And we could say that it stands as a kind of a symbol for any type of hardness or softness in the body, just as the earth itself can be hard or soft. So there's a way in which we can experience the body as the hardness and softness or the solidity or the roughness or the smoothness heavy or light. So for example, right now, maybe you could feel just like the heaviness or the pressure of the body against whatever it is you're sitting on. Or you could clamp your teeth together and feel like the hardness and the tongue has some softness in comparison to that. Or maybe you could clench one hand and make your fist and if you have fingernails you could feel the hardness touching the softness so as we get more familiar with this quality we start to recognize that just as there are qualities solidity hardness etc there are elsewhere and not only that that you know what's just as there's solidity etc out there just as there's earth element out there. There's earth element here and when we die all the earth element, the plants and animals, if you eat animals, all of those all the earthness you know, went into this body and then when we die of course it's going to get returned to the elements, right? There's I appreciate, I think it was Wes Nisker who said, we're all made out of star stuff. And it's all going to go back. It's not so separate. And uh, I was just teaching a retreat and I appreciated uh, my co-teacher. She was uh, giving a teaching and she uh, went to the kitchen and, and got the ingredient list for the dinner or the lunch or some with well, the meal that uh, we had all just had and she um, read the ingredients and said you know this 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 isn't I'll use her example here it's not how she did it but you know this is all the earth element too the the lentils the cheese the onions you know the grapes the olive oil all these uh, ingredients so it was, was earth elements, you know, it was out, it got cultivated and grown. And in some way we could just say, you know, now it's here, just in a different container. 
as it gets uh, metabolized and changed, right? So the earth element is still getting converted, but it's still the earth element. Going through transformation and maybe it turns from solidity to fluidity as things get metabolized. But just this recognition that what's outside is also what we're made out of. So the water element has fluidity, liquidity, as well as the opposite, kind of like cohesion or stickiness. And you might notice the fluidity in your own experience around the eyes, like we have tears and we can move our eyes because there's this fluidity that allows that, or of course the saliva in our mouth. And the water inside the body is exactly the same as the water outside the body. Of course it is. Water is water is water. H2O. And so the water of the rain is the same as the water that's inside of us. And when we die, the water within our bodies will go down to the earth or evaporate and go up into the clouds, condense and rain and be part of the rivers. then, of course, the fire element, which symbolizes temperature, heat, and coolness. And in the bodies, we think about it as metabolism and digestion. And some might even say it's a type of uh, life energy. So we could feel in our body and there's some places of warmth. Maybe where parts of the body touch other parts. Places of coolness, maybe where that's feeling that air conditioning come out. We can feel the coolness on the air. So there's this way in which everything has temperature. Of course it does. I'm sorry. Yes, temperature. (laughs) I looked at my notes and I got a little bit confused. (laughs) Where am I? Air element is next. Sometimes it is referred to as wind, an air element. Of course, it's like the breath in and out, or even the gas in our GI tract. Also symbolizes movement. And, you know, in the way that we're breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. So again, we're exchanging the elements, these qualities with the environment. And when this body dies, of course, the air is going to go back to the atmosphere. So Uttama's awakening poem, here's somebody who had some difficulties. And it was with some of these teachings of kind of like deconstructing experience is what helped her find her way. And so often, the, when we give in teachings here, I know it uh, often on retreat and certainly here with the introduction to meditation pr- program, there's a real emphasis on mindfulness of the body. But that's not always accessible for people. I would say the, the clear majority of people, if I'm having a practice discussion with them, will say, 
I'm one of those analytical people and I'm not quite so connected with my body. This is like such a common way that people talk about their experience. And so I was thinking that maybe think about the elements, the fluidity, solidity, motion, might be a way to be tuned in to the bodily experience in a way that's a little bit different. Because sometimes we are thinking about the body. And so to have some way, like use this as maybe an uh, entryway in. And then with the body we can see the that it's not self that can lead to awakening. We could see that it's impermanent that can lead to awakening. And we could see that there's suffering, dukkha associated with it because it is always changing and we can't control it. So I'll read Uttama's awakening poem again. Four times, five times I left my dwelling. I had failed to find peace of mind or any control over my heart. I approached a nun in whom I had faith. She taught me the Dharma, the aggregates, the sense fields, and the elements. When I had heard her teachings, in accordance with her instructions, I sat cross-legged for seven days, given over to joy and happiness. On the eighth day, I stretched out my legs, having shattered the mass of darkness. I think I'll end there. And I'll open it up to see if there are any questions or comments. Hi there, and thank Hi. you for your talk. I have two questions. Can I have two questions? Yes. First question is that I don't find it relatable the, to a person who was sitting for seven days. I, <laughs> but I can you see for now. You were on a half. retreat, though, right? So uh, you were yeah, on a retreat. So. But she was she stretched the legs on the eighth day. <laughs> I, I'm for myself. I'm interpreting this as that she. Didn't didn't uh, sit nonstop. Oh, okay. Um, and the second question, maybe more serious, is that. So I heard this explanation about this air element, um, like this Mahasisayada tradition. They say that pay attention to the rising and the falling of belly instead of like between the nose. And the reason for it is because of this air element. Do you like know or understand what this is about? I like heard something, but like I don't quite understand. Maybe I don't know if you know. Maybe you can explain a little better. So this is my understanding, and it has to do with more kind of like the. Uh, I, I'll use this word political. I don't know if that's right. So when Mahasi Saidao said, "Okay, to watch at the." Um, at the abdomen, I don't remember all the details of this, but whoever, like the more senior leaders of the, the I guess this is in Burma, the um, of the meditation said, no, 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 uh, mindfulness of the body has to be somewhere 
has to be done a particular way. Maybe here, at the upper lip, or it may somewhere. And then Mahasi said, no, 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 this is the elements. We're doing elements practice. We're not doing bodies practice. And that's why it can be different. So it was a workaround. So that's this is what I've heard. But whether that's true, I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> and maybe that's not very satisfying, but... Yes, maybe we can pass it back there. I'm wondering if you could uh, um, reread uh, her comment about control of the heart, because I had sort of an odd reaction to that. Um, um, what 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 she was struggling with there? Yeah. So the expression is, I had failed to find peace of mind or any control over my heart. And you might know that uh, that word for heart is chitta. It could also be translated as mind. So oh. I had any control over my mind or or control over my heart. So it could be either, or it could be both. You could say heart mind, or so. If, if that uh, if if that's helpful, well, it's just uh, I guess I understand, you know, the struggle for control of the mind more than I do the other, you know, the control of the heart. So I was just kind of puzzled by that. Yeah, in my mind, I was thinking that maybe there was uh, like feelings. You know, like the heart is maybe associated with some emotions or something. We can interpret it whatever ways we find support. Okay, well, it's good to know that that uh, the heart and mind in this instance is kind of interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have a comment or question or something they'd like to share? Okay, okay, well, thank you for your kind attention. And I wish you a good rest of your evening. Thank you.